Well, church, it's January 3rd of a new year, 2018. Amen. Who's excited about a new year? Yeah. Who's excited about further direction in this church and in a personal life of you guys and of my family as well? Yeah. The title of our message tonight is Take In. Subpoint, cultivating the call. Take in, cultivating the call. Who was at the bonfire on Sunday night? Man, that's just about every hand in the room. How amazing was the bonfire on Sunday night? Can you just give the Lord a hand for that kind of incredible direction? Goodness gracious, the Holy Spirit spoke so mightily to us on Sunday. Incredible. Just by a show of hands. Before we get to that, open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. When the, when the Lord speaks so definitively, with so much clarity, and so much boldness, and through so many different people, God's church must take note. And we must continue to put in our minds and in our hearts the words that He spoke to us to make sure we have a firm grasp of them and to make sure that we are actually, with our steps, walking out what the Holy Spirit has directed us to do. Amen. We're going to start in Revelation 3 and we're going, to, we're going to revisit just a little bit at the beginning of tonight what exactly the Lord spoke to us and how it should be affecting us right now. You guys in verse 14? To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. How many of you feel that fire tonight that the Lord is placing inside of your soul? How many of you can feel that kind of fire going deep down in your soul tonight? Because this is one of the words that the Lord directed us to on Sunday night. This is one of the words that He spoke. It's, it's not enough to be lukewarm and to sit in a fired up place or a fired up church or with fired up saints. You, me, all of us sitting in this room are called to either one or the other. And let me tell you a secret, we're all called to burn with fire. We're all called to burn brightly with a fire that consumes, with a fire that the world can sit next to you and feel its heat, that your brothers can sit next to you and you, they can feel the heat of the fire that's burning inside of your soul. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. When I read this verse... I'm going to be honest, my heart sinks a little bit. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. The fact of the matter is, is that we heard almost verbatim this exact statement last year of a precious brother who said, I'm rich and I don't need anything that you have to offer. That's sobering. That's sobering in this room. Someone that any one of us could look at and say, that's a pillar in the faith. And he turns, and out of his heart comes a statement like this. Not many actually say something like this. But our actions, they speak louder than words. When you miss services, when you hang out on the fringes, when you show up to plan church events and have no other interaction with the body, you're telling your family here and you're telling God that you have already acquired what you need and you don't need anything else. Just the minimum. That's all I'm here for and I don't need anything else from this body. Our actions speak a plethora of words. In Acts chapter 2 it says that every day the church continued to meet together and the believers had everything in common. Is this you tonight? Or do you just not realize how wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked you really are? Here at LCM, 
We're not trying to be an Acts church. We're not attempting to be an Acts church. We are an Acts church, LCM. We are an Acts church. It's time to embrace that calling on your own life. It's time to magnify that Acts church that you read about in chapter 2 and chapter 4. That tenacious spirit. That spirit that's on fire for whatever direction the Lord wants to take you. It's time to grab a hold of that church because you're in an Acts church right here. You're sitting in one tonight. It's a privilege. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. This is the fruit that we're supposed to be producing, church. Our own refinement is fruit in the Lord's sight. Putting on righteous acts, actually doing what we're convicted of. Actually doing what we say we're going to do. Actually doing what we pray on this altar. That's fruit. Opening up our eyes with the salve of the Holy Spirit to the harvest that's all around us. That's fruit for the kingdom. That's fruit on your tree. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. This is how we get to the point where we can produce the fruit that we talked about in verse 18. Be earnest. Repent. Repentance leads us into a heart that is open to what the Spirit wants for you. Repentance leads you into fruit that is able to be picked from your tree and partaken of by those around you and by Jesus Himself. Do you want fruit tonight? Do you want fruit this year? It starts with repentance. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The Holy Spirit urged us on Sunday night and is urging us again tonight. Do not keep the door of your heart closed to what I want to tell you. Don't do it. Don't keep that door closed. It requires nothing of you to keep the door of your heart closed. But it requires your full attention, your gaze fully set on His throne to open the door of your heart. It takes a lot to open that door. It takes a very little to keep that door shut. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 18. This should be ringing a bell for most of you in the room. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Can I tell you that Jesus is looking at this body? He's looking at us. He's saying, I am hungry for fruit. I am hungry to partake in the fruit of my labor in you. He's looking at each one of us and saying, what can I take from your tree that I can partake in, that I can enjoy? What is there to show for the salvation that I have so freely lavished upon your life? What is there? What kind of fruit can I find on your tree tonight that I can partake in because I have done so much for you? I have freed you from so many things. I have spoken to you so many times. I've done so much for your family. I've used you in amazing ways. But what fruit can I partake of you tonight? Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. All there was on that tree that he found were fig leaves of excuses. All that Jesus found on that tree. I don't need to be refined in the way that you're telling me I need to be refined. That's a fig leaf. And it doesn't produce fruit. I just need a night alone with my family. Or I just need a night by myself. That's a fig tree. And that kind of attitude does not produce fruit. 
I didn't even think to look around me for someone who the Lord might want to speak to. That too, my brothers and sisters, is a fig tree. And that kind of pacificity, that kind of lazy attitude, produces no fruit in your life. You know what you're supposed to be doing. It's found in Acts 8, verse 4. Preaching the word wherever you go, just like that Acts church was doing. Amen. Preaching the word wherever they went. Guess what? They were being spread out. Their families were being torn apart. They were in a terrible time in their history, yet alone a terrible time in their own lives. But wherever they went, they had the fire burning inside of their heart so much, and it was ablaze to the extent that wherever they went, their mouths could not stay closed. Their mouths could not close up and not declare the glories of God wherever they were dispersed to. Whatever city they ended up landing, landing in, they could not stop the preaching of the Word. They were so on fire. It's where the Holy Spirit wants us to go. It's where He's leading us. It's where He's directing us this year. That there's no more of these fig leaves of excuses. There's just room for fruitful sheaves of obedience on our tree. Verse 20, when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Fig leaves to fruitful sheaves. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to go on the offensive, church. We didn't spend last month talking about going on the offensive, not to go on the offensive. Amen? We are going to go on the offensive. We are going to put into practice everything that we've been taught. It's what we're going to do. And the Lord's going to get His fruit from us. Plunder the enemy. Rescue captives from the fierce. Are these ringing a bell for you? This is what we are destined for. It's what we were built for. It's what all of our training culminates into. We're going to plunder the enemy's camp. We're going to march on the gates of hell. We're going to rescue the captives from the fierce. And we're going to gain glory for King Jesus. Turn to Acts 14. Verse 21 This verse was not first mentioned on Sunday night. That was not the first mention of Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. For those of you that have been with us less than a year, we've been thinking about this verse all 2017 long. This verse was our goal for all of last year. The Lord saw fit to speak it to us again. Which means we have a lot of growing to do in this area. You guys listening closely? They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. Win disciples, church. Strengthen the disciples we have, church. Leaders and their appointment are on the way, church. On the way. These words, just going over them again, ringing in my ears, ringing in my mind, ringing in my heart, they all point to a certain theme. And that theme is discipleship. I know all of you are very familiar with the term discipleship. But a, a great number less are actually familiar with the way of life that is required by a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that... When I say that, I mean exactly that. Required. 
by anyone who would take up his cross and follow Christ. I was reminded during worship of Luke chapter 21 and verse 18. It's a rich young ruler. Goes up to Jesus and he says, I've, I've kept all these commands since I was a little boy. What do I lack, Jesus? Give up. Everything that you think belongs to you and come follow me. Give up every possession that you think belongs to you and come follow me. Give up every moment of time, every night of the week that you think belongs to you and come follow me. Give up every member of your family that you think rightfully belongs to you. Give them up to me and come follow me. Almost every word that we heard during worship has the same exact theme. Give up what you think belongs to you and come follow me. This is the true call to discipleship. This is the real call to making real disciples according to the pattern that was set for us. Raise your hand if you received a word specifically to you or your family regarding discipleship or a theme thereof during the bonfire. That is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. We're going to spend the next, this service and the next seven services preaching about discipleship. And you're going to see it in a new way. Your mind is going to be open to new things that you've never contemplated before. And the goal of the Holy Spirit through this month is that all of our eyes would be opened to ways that we are neglecting discipleship in our own lives and in the lives of our family. Are you guys ready for that? Because it's exactly where we're going to go. Because it's exactly where the Holy Spirit is leading us. Are you committed to whatever it takes to be obedient to the Lord in all of the areas of discipleship? Are you? I want you to think about that question. Because it's a very serious question. And it will require all of you. And it will require you to be uncomfortable. And it will require you to sacrifice. And it will require you to give up things that you treasure very dearly in your life. It will require all of that and so much more. But it's the only way. The only way. When you look to the right and you look to the left, and you don't see it being done right, that's not a free pass. You are responsible for your walk and for your level of discipleship and for your seriousness. You are responsible. How many of you have heard about our Discipleship 101 teaching? The teaching on Talmudim. Tara, can you put that image on the screen? This message is the first of eight. Jesus himself, while he walked on the earth during his ministry here, gave us a perfect example of how to disciple men and how to be a true disciple of his body, the church. These are the eight very definable steps in his ministry that are going to mark our preaching this month. The first one is tonight. And that's take in. The scripture up there, I know some of you probably can't see it, but I'll, I'll walk through it with you guys. Mark 3, 13 through 14. This is the take in process. This is step number one. And this is why we're starting with it, because frankly, if we can't nail down step one, if you can't nail this down, in your heart and mind, and in your steps, and in your actions, and in your way of life, you can't nail down the take-in process, then you might as well just leave your seat empty and not show up until February. Really. We're going to nail this down tonight. We're going to examine it. We're going to see what it's going to take 
from you to be discipled in the same way that Jesus discipled His twelve. Mark 3.13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to Him those He wanted, and they came to Him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles that they might be with Him. Very first step, He calls you, and you leave it all to be with Him. First step. Number two, attach. Matthew 11.29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How many of you can, can realize that there's a difference between leaving it all and standing by somebody, and leaving it all, standing by them, and attaching your very life to theirs and saying, I'm at your hip. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Whatever you do, I'm going to learn from you and I'm going to do. Whatever your lifestyle is, I'm going to learn that lifestyle so that I can propitiate this kind of lifestyle and those who the Lord sends to me. Isn't that the goal that we're going for? Something that can be replicated in your life, in your family, in your ministry, in your calling? That's what we're going for this month. Number three is lavish. Mark 14, 22 through 23. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to His disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then He took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. You see Jesus actually giving of Himself to those who He took in and who physically attached themselves to His call. He actually gave of who He was to His disciples. Number four is model. John 13, 12 through 15. When He had finished washing their feet, He put on His clothes and returned to His place. I've had my feet washed in this church more times than I would care to count. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Model. Number five is implement. Matthew 14, 15 through 19. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 19 says, And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. It's right after they said, What are we going to do with this crowd? We've got nothing. Jesus says, You give them something to eat. You have it been watching me do it all these days, and it's your turn. Step up. Amen. Number six, direct. Mark 8, 14 through 17. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. I've been in this spot so many times. So much patience has been given to me because of this scenario right here. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? That's direction. Number seven is initiate. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see why it's so important? So important to go through these steps? So important to have fruit on your tree? So important to do everything the Lord convicts you of and shows you and points out to you? It's so important because at the end, He's going to say, go out. Teach those who you come in contact with everything that I've taught you and I've given you and I've sacrificed for you. See, the process is so important. And you don't just jump to the end. You can't just jump to the end. Number eight is magnify. John 14, 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So this, this is our plan for this month. Eight discernible steps to discipleship. Starting with take in. We have to cultivate the call to discipleship amongst ourselves. Just like Jesus cultivated it among His disciples. We have to cultivate the call. The first step, take in. Remember that Jesus called to Him those He wanted and they came to Him. That they might be with Him. The amazing part about this is that it's not just some story out there. It's not just something that you read in a book. It's not just something that uh, was amazing 2,000 years ago. Each and every person in this room has been called by God. Each and every person in this room has heard the call of the Almighty and has had plenty of opportunity to either respond to that call or to keep walking in the direction that you were walking before He called you. That's not a one-time take-in action by Jesus. It's not a one-time call on your life. He doesn't call your name once and then leave you. He calls your name many times to go on many paths, to go on many acts of obedience, to change direction many times, to give up many things for the sake of His name. It's a call perpetuated throughout your life and the lives of your descendants. The Lord calls out to a man to get his attention. Let's look at a couple of these examples in the word of the Lord calling out to a man to get his attention. Let's turn to Genesis 46. We're going to start in verse 1. There when you're there, please. Jacob is contemplating what is happening in Egypt. He's contemplating the stories from his sons. He's contemplating being reunited with Joseph. And we pick up in verse number 1. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. The Lord is so good. He even called out to Jacob more than once. See, this is my testimony. And I'm sure it's the testimony of many of you. When I was walking my own way, I had my own life figured out. And God started calling, Nick, 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 where are you going with your life? Why are you going on the path that you're going in? I'm calling out to you. I'm trying to get your attention. See, he called me many times. And he called you many times too. 
Do not be afraid like Jacob to respond to God. Psalm 18.35, verse that's been being thrown around this week, says that the Lord stoops down because He has a desire to make you great. Isn't that right, Brandon? Like with Jacob, He stoops down to call you. And greatness is in the future of those who obey. Lord promised Jacob greatness if he walked in his way. Called him more than once. Showed him great mercy. But he said, if you obey me, if you follow me into this, I promise greatness is on the horizon for you. Amen. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. We're also going to start in verse 1 here. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Real question for you in the house of God tonight. Are you just interested in the fire of God? Are you just simply interested in what it might be, what it might feel like, what it might look like? Maybe seen it a couple times. Just interested in it. Or are you interested enough in the fire of God to pursue it? Yeah. Moses saw it. He saw it was a strange sight. It didn't look like the rest of the life or the rest of the people or the rest of the things that he had seen in his life up to this point. But he saw something strange, something powerful, something out of the ordinary, something supernatural. And he was moved enough to move his feet and to go over and to see what it was. Are you moved enough tonight? You moved enough to go see, to go partake in, to speak to, to interact with, the fire of God that causes you to burn. Yes. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses! And Moses said, Here I am. Moses was in such a humble place at this point of his life. Yeah. Yeah. He'd been in Egypt. High call in the world. He was in the limelight. He was educated in the ways of Egypt. The superpower of the day. He was in the higher ups, man. He was in the, the king of Egypt's house, the Pharaoh's house. Adopted as a son to the world. And the Lord took him out and humbled him for 40 years. Those 40 years were necessary for Moses to get to the place where when he saw something strange and supernatural, he was able to identify it. He was able to move his feet. And he was able to go see it. How many of you have spent time in the limelight of the world? Spent time working a job that got you all kinds of credit? Spending time leading a life that got you all kinds of credit from the world around you. And the Lord can just take it away like that. And He does it because He loves you. And He does it because He cares about you. And He does it because He wants you to know that the only opinion that matters is the heavenly one. The only opinion that matters in your life is the one that comes from the throne room of God. And guess what? It's the only way that you get the fire. You don't get the fire if you listen to the world. You don't get the fire if you listen to your lost relatives. You don't get the fire doing these things. You get the fire when you look at your commanding officer and you say, where is it that you want me to go? He gives you the fire. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. 
So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Lord didn't just draw him. Lord didn't just call him. The Lord had a plan. It was a plan that was hundreds of years old. It was a plan from the beginning. And he saw Moses and he put him in the spot where he could hear. Put him in the spot where he could receive. He put him in the spot where he gave Moses every opportunity to leave everything that he had so that he could follow in the Lord's plan. That is a merciful, loving, amazing, supernatural God that we serve. Moses was living with his in-laws. He was working a menial job. He was not aware of what he was called to. Just like many of you in this room. Moses was called to bring salvation to a hungry nation. Just like many of you in this room. Have you limited God in your current position and current nation because you haven't pursued the fire? You've been lulled to sleep by the world and your own Christian family's opinions. And you're stuck in a cycle of disobedience. And you're just kind of stuck there in limbo. Break free from that tonight because you have an opportunity to do so. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We'll also start in verse 1 here. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. Maybe you need to get out of your usual place tonight. Maybe you need to get out of the place where you're most comfortable with tonight. Maybe you need to get up and get in a place of discomfort tonight. Because your usual place is not producing the fire. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. You see others that you might be close to. You feel a stirring. You feel a call. You hear the Lord's voice. And you think you've got a direction. And you talk to somebody that you might trust a little bit too much. And they say, Just go back and lie down. You're going to be fine. Just go back and lie down. You're doing a good job. Go back and lie down. That's too grand for you. That's out of the scope. What about your children? Go back and lie down. And you get pacified back to sleep. But the Lord is a good God. He called to Samuel three times. On the third time, He called to him twice. He said, Samuel, Samuel. Can you feel Him rousing your very soul here tonight? Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Verse 10. Verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time I will carry out 
against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. You see, Samuel ran to Eli. He ran to what was comfortable. He ran to a man that he probably trusted too much. But it was really the Lord who was calling him and desiring to direct him. Eli was destined for destruction. You guys realize that? At this point, Eli is damned because he did not counsel his children and raise them up in the way that they should go. He was damned for it in the Lord's eyes. It's easy to run to people who don't require discipline of you or anything from you at all. It's so easy to, to go that route. It's so easy to run and just, it's okay, just go back to sleep. It's all right. Nothing's required. You're doing a good job. Keep it up. So easy to do that. Are you tired of this yet? In your own heart, in your own life, are you tired of running in this way? You're tired of being lulled to sleep. Do you want the fire tonight? Yes. Amen. Yes, deacon. We want the fire. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that we need you to have the fire. Because we need harvesters in the Lord's harvest field. We need men and women casting aside their want or need or any other desire for anything else but what the Lord has called them to do. We need that. God needs that from you tonight. Let's go to Acts 26. We're going to start in verse 12 here. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Saul of Tarsus had kicked, and he had kicked, and he had kicked, and he had kicked against the direction that the Lord had for his life. Kicked against it. The truth is, is that most of us don't get the opportunity of seeing a bright, shining light, brighter than the sun itself, shining from the heavens, and the very voice of God calling out from that light, but isn't it just as good for you tonight that you've heard the voice of God many times? Yes. You've heard the call of God many times. You've heard His direction from you many times. You've felt His fire before many times. Isn't that enough for most of you? That's enough. Stop running. Like Saul of Tarsus. Forget about running. Stop standing still. It's time for us to run into discipleship. To run into the call of God. To run into the pattern set out for us. It's time for us to run into it because there is no alternative. There is no godly alternative to this. Judges chapter 6. And verse 11. There. 
the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I go back and I think about many prophecies that I've received. That when I received them, I felt both encouraged and both as small as a little mustard seed. You're called to this. God has this in your future. This is what you're supposed to be, son. The truth of it is, is that God is always calling out the potential of who you're supposed to be when you get discipleship right in your own life. He's not calling out what you are right now. He's calling out what you are going to be. He's calling calling out what you will be if you follow His plan stringently. If you give up the things of the world and you follow Him into it, this is what you will become. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all His wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Let me get this straight. The Lord says to Gideon, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he says, Yeah, but look all around me. The Lord can't possibly be with us. Look at all the persecution. Look at the situation that we're in. Look at my family. Look at everything else but in here. Look everywhere else, Lord. But my heart. Because at this point, Gideon's not with him. The Lord speaks very very specifically to us. But you know, our flesh has a tendency sometimes to just make it real general. Yeah, this is going to happen sometime through some way. It's just going to happen. I'm just going to walk into it one day. And I'm going to be a mighty warrior. And I'm going to lead men on battle. And I'm going to march against the very gates of hell. It's just going to happen. It's not just going to happen. It will not just happen. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. Save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. I can't do this, Lord. How can I do it? The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. The Lord keeps bringing it back to Gideon himself. He's saying to you tonight, take responsibility for your call. Take responsibility for the call that I have spoken to you. Grab a hold of it. I don't care what part of the body you are in the body of Christ. You have a call and a responsibility to take a hold of it with all your heart. To put all of your effort, all of your strength, all of your time, all of your finances into the call of God on your life. Because if you don't, you're not going to get there. You will not be the man that God has called you to be. Gideon was called to be a warrior. Gideon was called to lead men into battle. Gideon was called to storm the very gates of hell and face them head on. What are you called to do? In one way or another, you're called to do the same thing. Verse 24. This is the beautiful part about all this. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abezrites. See, when you run into His call, when you run into discipleship with a reckless abandonment of anything that you had before, when you run into it, the Lord's shalom descends on you and on your household so mightily so great in a measure that's so amazing that you've never experienced before. When you run into discipleship, the Lord builds an altar in your very household called the Lord is Peace. 
and His shalom rests upon you. And it rests upon your family. And in that place, you can do anything that He's calling you to do. You have what it takes in that place of shalom with God. The Lord is calling out to us right now, church. Run into discipleship. Run into real, real discipleship. This is the call of God right now to us. When you begin to get this right, when you begin to get this right, you're going to have shalom experiences with your wife, with your children, with your family that you could never have imagined otherwise. You're struggling in your house. You're struggling with disciplining your kids. You're struggling with the direction that things are going. It's one way to fix it. Run. Turn with me. To John 3. When you get there, look up at me for a second. We can get caught sometimes in these pathetic aspirations for ourselves. And we're caught. We don't realize how pathetic they really are. You've heard of a man called to fivefold ministry, just like Eric, just like Matt, just like Wade, but they became a Christian psychologist instead. You've heard of a man called to raise up five righteous children, but they settle for two in a BMW. Or two in a business instead. You've heard of a man called to the foreign mission field. But they stay put where they are. And they make one foreign trip a year and they call it missions. And they call it their call. Or they're called to the foreign mission field. And they spend most of the year deliberating in the country that they're from. To raise some funds and just to spend some time for themselves. The disciples that Jesus called, many who were lowly fishermen, they were clouded with their lost relatives. They were clouded with their aspirations. They were clouded with their professions. But Jesus had another life and calling greater than anything that any of them could ever have imagined. All of us in this room tonight have different types of callings. But that does not negate the fact that all of us are called. Every single one. Amen. If running into His call and into discipleship causes the Lord's shalom to descend on your family, that means that your children can find their calling in this way. Your full-on all-out discipleship sets them up for their mighty call from God. The fact of the matter is, is that being called by God and taken in by God is the very highest calling that an individual can possibly receive in their lifetime. Yeah. You in John 3? Yeah. Verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again or born from above. These scriptures that we're going to read here, they should be ringing a bell inside of your mind. You want to see the kingdom more in your life? Respond fully to the call of the Lord and to discipleship. Ephesians 2, 6-7 And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We have the opportunity to be seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. But if you don't take that seat of discipleship, then no one else gets to see the incomparable riches of His grace portrayed through your life. It's time to take your seat in the heavenly realms with Christ. James 1, 9 through 9-10, you can just listen. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. 
But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. You rich in the world today? You rich in the world tonight? Are you rich in faith, taking pride in your high position, in humility, which means you're following the Lord wherever He goes, whatever directive He gives you, whatever it costs you. You know, you can be too prideful in your worldly activities to give them up for real discipleship. That is a pride issue, not anything else. All in this room are being drawn into discipleship by the, by the very Spirit of God and by His servants here on earth. This is a high calling, church. And it requires some things from you if you choose to obey the will of God. Are you ready to hear some of the requirements? Some of the major barriers of entry into discipleship? Turn with me to Matthew 18. When you get there, land on the 8th verse. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's just that easy. It's just that simple. You just take the knife and you slice it off of your life. You cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. So the question here is, what do you think that you need in your life that you really don't need and that needs to be cut off? See, when you look at a person, it seems like they need two eyes. It seems like they need two arms. They need those things to function, right? It's just a part of life. That's not true in the kingdom. The things that we think that we need to function, the Holy Spirit leans over to us and says, hey, this is causing you to sin. This is keeping you from real discipleship. You need to chop it off. You need a radical amputation of this limb of your body in your life. And it needs to be now. Because if it's not now, it's never. Now is the time to chop off what you think that you need. The time you think you need. The travel you think you need. The whatever you think you need that is causing you not to get discipled the way that you know that you need to. It's time to chop that off and do it swiftly and immediately and do not delay. Ephesians chapter 4. You can't run full speed into discipleship when you still got boat anchors of sin and worldly aspirations hanging off of you. You have to chop them off. Ephesians 4, verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There are things you must put off to grow and mature in Christ so that you can put on your righteous actions. The righteous actions of Jesus Christ Himself and the righteous actions of your own pastors. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a, I put off all this stuff two years ago and I'm good for the rest of my time here. This is a many-time process, church. Think about your life right now. What do you need to radically amputate? What do you need to put off right now so that you can put on something of righteousness? Verse 30. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is exactly what we're talking about. Have you stagnated and thus grieved the Holy Spirit? You stagnated in this putting off, putting on process? You stagnated in this radical amputation? Got an extra limb hanging off of you and you just don't know where it came from? Got to chop it off. Cut it off. For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the plunder, for the sake of the captives, for the sake of your brothers, for the sake of Jesus Christ, cut it off. This word, Talmudim, it's the plural of the word Talmud, and it is the Hebrew word for disciple. Eight letters. You saw the acronym on the screen earlier. T-A-L-M-I-D-I-M. Talmudim. There's a paleo. A monument to a way of life marking a bloody door. A monument to a way of life marking a bloody door. As a disciple of Jesus Christ and of this ministry, our lives require us to be that monument of their way of life marking His bloody door. You see, in Egypt, when that bloody door was marked, the blood of a a lamb, you are that lamb tonight. You're taken into a family that was not your own. You're taken care of. You're nurtured. You're fed. You could have been in in an Egyptian household. You could have been in the household of some foreign nation. But God chose you. He took you in. And He brought you into a household that was His very own. Your death and your blood is what will save. Nothing short of your own death will suffice. It's time to plunge headlong into discipleship, brothers and sisters. Radically amputating the aspects of your old life and putting on what you see exemplified in this church. At the end of your physical life, think about this for a second. Your death every day will be worth it. Ask Jacob. For Jacob, it was worth it. If you ask Moses, I guarantee Moses called a slave of God by the rabbis. His death every day was worth it. If you look at Samuel, his death and obedience every day was worth it. You look at Saul of Tarsus, his death Every day, I guarantee you, He is in glory, and it was worth it. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Peyton, you can start making your way up here, brother. You know where we're going. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, 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 Lord. He didn't just call out to him once. He called out to him multiple times. You called out to him at this altar. You called out to him at your house. You called out to him many times. We'll enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He has called out to us. But have we responded? Did our response look like, Lord, Lord? 
Did it look like simply calling out to him and walking away disobedient? If you call out to him without stepping out into obedience, then your discipleship process has just ended. It's done. What are you going to do tonight? You're going to call out to him? I hope. I hope to God that you do. You're going to cry out? I hope to God that you do. And tomorrow, when the wood hits the grain, when the rubber meets the road, discipleship awaits you. Real discipleship. Instead of greatness awaiting you like Jacob was called to, are you holding back tonight because you're not sure that you'll be able to still hang out with those that you love? This family here, for me, has become many thousands of times greater than any blood ever was. You're holding back out of fear that you're not going to have what, it, what you want. I promise you, when you go full speed into it, you will get what you need and you'll get much more. Instead of calling to a nation of hungry souls awaiting salvation like Moses was called to, are you lulled to sleep in your comfortable suburbanite lifestyle, not pursuing the fire and okay with it because of the weak opinions of your relatives pacifying you? Think on that tonight. Instead of running to the Lord in His righteous counsel like Samuel learned to do, are you running to the counsel of men who you know aren't living rightly with the Lord? Look at their family. Look at their sons and daughters. Are they living rightly with the Lord? Or are they like Eli? Run to your pastors, not to your lost parents. Your spiritual brothers of the blood of Christ, not of the water of the womb. Your children raised in righteousness, not those raised in the wickedness of the world. Instead of getting up and standing to your feet in the direction that God has been calling you to, like Paul did, are you kicking against the goads tonight? I pray that you're not. I pray that this word is piercing your heart like it's piercing mine. Pray that tonight the kicking of the goads stops. Instead of the mighty warrior that he calls you to be like Gideon, are you hiding in plain sight here and inwardly cowering in fear while you make excuses for why you're not responding rightly to God? This month, is designed to plunge us headlong into discipleship. But like I said earlier, you don't get this take-in process right. You don't get this first step of all-out, full-on obedience right. And you don't get the others. And you don't get your call. And you don't get the kingdom. And neither does anybody else that you were called to. Discipleship is a monument to a way of life marking his sacrifice. Anything less is damning to you and not acceptable in the Lord's sight. Don't be left behind by your brothers in your personal obedience to this message. Stand up with me.